A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 95, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hello, folks. Welcome to episode 95, uh, the remote edition for me, as I'm on the road, usually Pete's role. If we're back before COVID, we'd talk to Pete Steinberg, the professor in some hotel somewhere around the world. But I've taken the role this time of being on the road. But firstly, Pete, three games on the weekend. You are an absolute uh, commentary warrior, my friend. How are you feeling? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Loved, uh, loved working with Kit McConaughey. First time I worked with Kit. So great, great to meet him. He is also unusually tall, just like you, Dan. But, um, you know, Kit's a I big man. I did do the splits to make him feel, to make, you know, I was, I was fine with him being a little bit taller than me. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a blast. Good games. I think interesting games, which from a coaching standpoint is always good. Um, but yeah, yeah, good games and had fun. Here you go. In an alternate universe, if Kip McConaughey is born in the Southern Hemisphere, he's probably a, probably a pretty good rugby player. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably true. I think it's probably true. Great thing about Kit is that he uh, um, spent um, quite a bit of time in Argentina. So when we were doing the Toronto games, he had some really beautiful pronunciations. If you If you want to go and see the top, you know, the top tries of the week is their call of um, Dominguez's try was just like, it's, it's great. Like he, you know, he calls it so well. I know he's got, uh, he's got the Spanish down pat. So uh, when MLR gets big enough or they take on the SLA in, in the Challenge Cup, Kit can do the, the Spanish, the Espanol on one side of the booth and you and I will do the English on the other side of the booth. It'll be perfect. Yeah. You'll just have to jump back and forth with your analysis, brush up on your Spanish. You know, I, uh, um, I I one time with with Mark Stabina did um, the uh, I guess it was the ARC whatever that was the uh, international competition down in um, South America for ESPN, and mm-hmm. you know we, we we were told we're like hey don't worry about it um, we'll we'll get all the research for you, right? And so this was the South American feed that we were calling in February in Connecticut. So it was like freezing cold, and they were showing us you know. Um, pictures of Montevideo and stuff like that. So, so we turn up and they give us like a pack, like two inches thick of research, all in Spanish. Oh, <laughs> so we can I love see the it. scores. I love like, like you could kind of read it. You could see the scores, but there was like it was all, like so like huge breakdowns on all the players, all this stuff. But it was just all in Spanish. Yeah, I know. I'm uh, I'm a tragic as well. Obviously, not many Spanish people uh, speaking people in Australia. So we did Japanese was our um, second language that we would do at school. So here, most people are, are reasonably fluent when they finish high school. Pete, I know, I know. My uh, my four year old daughter does Spanish at daycare, so she can already speak more Spanish than me. Well, speaking of fluent, you know what else is fluent is uh, shop MLR. powered by the rugby shop that that segues like that's my worst one yet but you know what's not yeah yeah yeah, yeah, and what is good i didn't i didn't i didn't didn't help you right like i didn't help you i didn't think about that but there is something else that like you know we've we've looked at shopmlr.com we've checked it out go and get your team's rugby ball now there's yeah 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 so they've got some really cool team rugby balls and then when you're in your zoom calls you can have your team's rugby ball like over your shoulder it's a great idea. Yeah. They're the uh, Rhino Rugby. Are they Rhino Rugby balls? Is that, is that your question? Yeah, Rhino Rugby, sorry. No, these are these are replica balls. So these are balls that have, have the logos on. So you, you, they're not balls you want to play with. They're, 
Oh. There are balls you want to collector's you item on your background. They're a collector's item, right? Yeah, collector's item, exactly. I have a bunch of. And you take them to a game, get some, get some stitches. Yeah, yeah, even better. Take them to the yeah. game now. Now, now everyone's like going to the games. Take them to the games and get and get get them signed. That's a great idea. So yeah, well, speaking of head. speaking of games, mate, we had five amazing games on the weekend. The uh, 2021 season is the gift that just keeps on giving. So let's jump right into our reviews. Utah on the road, get the win over New York in New York. What do you think of this one, Pete? I mean, I, I don't like. I'm, I'm trying to work out whether it's a good or bad thing to be a Utah fan. This is the third week in a row that they've scored at the end to win by a point. I mean, that's nuts. Absolutely nuts. So, I, I mean, I, yeah, but I think it's the bench. I think, I think what Utah have is they've really shown how strong their bench is. I mean, I thought, I thought this was a really good game. You know, um, New York, I mean, penalties were the decider in this game. 19 penalties conceded. I mean, they, and, and they have a problem because I think they have too many refs on their team. Too many people that think that they know the calls. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. I mean, you know, there's, I mean, part of the problem is the scrums. There's a lot of penalties in the scrum, but penalties in the rock and penalties in the mall. And, you know, Utah were very clean. They only had eight penalties. So it kept giving Utah, like, the opportunity to gain territory in possession. Yeah, this, it could have been a different game. Utah stacked their bench uh, with a lot of, like, Teo, uh, yeah, they, Crusade, I, I think, I think they're for the Yeah, they're prepping for the for the break, right? So, like New York had to be up by a lot when that bench was empty. Yeah, and and here's the other thing: it was very warm, Pete, and Dylan Fawcett goes down early. Yeah, that's a big loss. And they had to reshuffle their front row, and it right. caused it caused Tawaki to play. I think it was 76 minutes, their Fijian front rower, yeah. and then he got blood. Blood binned off. He had a big gash over his eye that wouldn't stop bleeding. And referee Scott Green finally said, this is the third time. You've got to go get that thing stitched up and you know, cook, finished his day for him. So he probably would have gone 80 if it wasn't for that. I spoke to him after the game, Pete, and, and you've never seen a more tired guy. Like he was just, I'm like, hey, like, sorry about the result, obviously, but dude, what a, what a shift playing that long in the front row in those conditions. He just basically looked at me and went, yep. Like got nothing out of him. He was just he was exhausted. So, all right, moving on. Nola at Toronto. Know, we're not going to move on. Why not? The, the power stat. Oh, the turnovers. Yeah, let me. And it's it's really close, Dan. So I actually have to get out the calculator. So let me let me let me get it up. So it's um what have we got here? It's eight divided by fifty-eight. Eight. Hold it, I can't use a calculator. This is great podcast divided by 58, 13%. And then we've got um, 11 divided by, so it's 11, 11 turnovers for Utah on 89 carries and eight turnovers on 58 carries for New York. So. Oh, just, just New York wins the turnover, like loses the turnover. Loses battle, the like, turnover battle. By, I'll by, take it. By, and by and it was a one point game. game. Yep. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You're right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the power stat tells you that, that, that this is a close game because the turnover stats are close. All right. Yeah. I think it had more to do with the front row and penalties, like you said, Pete. But yeah. moving on now, now moving on to the next one Nola at Toronto. I picked Toronto on this one. I felt that the road was going to just be too weary for Nola, but they keep their their season has gone from life support to uh, hey, we're having a little activity here. There's there, there's hope. Don't you know? Give up just yet. They get another win on the road against Toronto. You called this one, so give me your breakdown of this one. Yeah, I mean, this was a really interesting game, and I, I keep talking about Nola's transformation. So they they had 134 tackles. And they missed 10 for a 93% tackle rate. That's, that's impressive. That's, that's impressive. Um, but they, you know, so this was a really, this was a really close game. And Nola were just able to take the opportunities. I mean, it wasn't a great game, right? Um, like a lot of the tries off like mistakes. 
um you know so that you know so that was a great a great try with uh kelly you know grubbing it through to uh mirrors and then lesage's uh um uh block but like toronto just weren't able to generate attack consistently they kept losing the ball um as did nola but nola had a better line out um and you know really had more opportunities so it was a really close game all the stats are really close the set piece was just a little bit better for nola and that gave them the edge and you know nola just keeps pulling it off right they they keep like somehow finding um ways to win and you know they're, they're putting pressure on the teams above and making sure that they have to win yeah i'll give a shout out to cam dolan here because there's been some really good eights this year and it's not often you say that Cam Dolan flies under the radar. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's true. He's put together an amazing season and he's really kept his side in contention for a lot of games this year. I think you've just become so used to Cam Dolan performing at that high of a level that you take it for granted. But I, I got a chance to really dig into some of his performances in the last few weeks and he's been outstanding. He had his try scoring best, but he's, he's doing a lot of stuff that he hasn't typically done in the past because he's has to do it he's stepping up and filling a lot of gaps that you know nate osborne is is trying to coach through here with injuries and uh, he's done a great job so i'm excited to see their run they've got a tough one this week we'll talk about that later but i'm excited to see their run continue it's a great storyline yeah i agree i agree you i mean i think that the thing that cam dolan is that i think he's the most disruptive defensive lineup jumper in the league I mean, Nola spoil about 25% of the opposition lineouts that they win and they steal a bunch of them. So they make it very, very difficult for um, uh, for other teams to have that as a platform. And we know that's how teams score, right? That's how they teams is from the lineout. So if you can really dis- disrupt the opposition lineout, you can really become a defensive team. And that's what Nola's become. They've become a defensive team. They've still got handling errors. They they every time like there's a turnover, they try and do too much and they turn it over back. There was 19 turnovers by Nola, 15 turnovers by Toronto. Just wasn't a great game. Um, but the turnover stat um, works. Oh no, the turnover oh, no. Stat doesn't work. Oh man. Well, this is dang this it. Is, this is the exception to the rule. Nola yeah, has, has to be outliers able to win the game. So, as a good scientist or a good professor, what I do is just grab that and just go, nope, out you go. Out of the basket. Yeah. Yeah, you... How can I? How can I throw out this piece of data? Because, like, yeah. you know. But no, no. You can. You can have when you plot your graphs. Then you can. You can have outliers. It doesn't. It doesn't. Like, um, it won't destroy the theory, right? So you you can still no. have like like the line and and one one or two outliers are fine either way. Absolutely. All right. Double header in Atlanta. This was the second one you did. How are you feeling at this point? A little tired. A little tired, a little insight in there. Got up early in the morning, flew out. Like, you know what it's like, a little tired. Yeah, I do. Where'd you go in between games? Coffee? Um, yeah, so I like in, in Austin, it, we do our games in Austin. I actually found a coffee shop one block away. Um, oh, so, so I went down and got a coffee and, and you know, it was good. Hung out. Genius. So that was, it was good. Well, this game was tight. There, there was some desperation in this Houston side and it's good to see they are not going into the night without a fight. But they uh, they end up going down. Rugby ATL maintained their top spot in the East. Uh, looked like the weather really did take a turn in this one. It was bad early, but it looked like it got worse in this one, Pete. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it, it was funny. I did three games: two in Atlanta and one in Seattle. And Seattle it was like beautiful; the sun was out. <laughs> and in, in, in Atlanta, it was like a. I mean, I think it was a tropical. De- I think it was a tropical de- tropical depression. So. Mm-hmm. You know, look, I think the Sabercats stayed stayed in this game. Um, they, they played well. You look at the stats, like very, very even. Only two line breaks each. The Sabercats actually had a slightly better tackle percentage, 92% over um, Houston at 90. And that's actually, again, as you know, a good measure of effort, right? And so these guys came out and, and they played hard. They had a lot of young guys and they in particular had young guys on the bench. And so it was very close, like early in the second half. But I think... The bench, you know, we'll talk about the bench, the bench, the bench, but I think the bench was the difference here. And, and you know what? There's there's a question about some of the decision-making, and I, I don't think you can really question it. You know, Sam Windsor kicks all of his goals, right? He, he kicked 15 points, but they lose 33-15. So do you go for those points, or do you kick for the corner and you, um, and you uh, um, 
you know, uh, go for the line out and go for the try. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer because it all depends on the outcome. But in that first half, they, they had some opportunities done. Hey, that was a good hook there because if you want to know, stick around for Professor's Tactics later, getting the ball over the try line. Houston, you might want to listen in for that one. All right, LA oh, at oh, San... Oh, turnover stat. Sorry, apologize. No, no, one more thing. One more thing. And this is something that, that I talked to Scott Lawrence about. Um, Manasseh Thalo came in and um, changed the game. So the uh, Houston have had a lot of injuries, particularly in the forwards. Fortuny was back. He's the Argentinian hooker. That's the way the Argentinians scrum. The hooker is more important than the props. But Fortuny and um, Solvera, both Argentinians, had so much pressure on Grunwald that like Atlanta didn't have a good scrum platform in that first half. Saulo comes in, completely changes it. Like all of a sudden, Atlanta's just dominant. And that's one of the reasons why they were able to pull away. Um, yeah. I'm having a look at this. This one's really close, Dan. So it's right on the line. I'm not going to do the calculation, but it's 15 turnovers on 83 carries for Houston. And it's 13 turnovers. Oh, no, no, this, this works. So you, the, the, the power stat works. Houston had more okay. uh, more um, turnovers per carry. Thank you. Two out, two, two out of three. I'm, three. I'm okay here. All right. LA, San Diego. This one back at Torero. I think uh, I may have said at one point, it's so good to see footy back at Torero. Uh, that stadium is still my favorite place to go. I, probably the city has a lot to do with it as well. San Diego is amazing, but I love going to Torero Stadium. It's just the sound the way it's kind of in a bowl there, but built up, it's, it's high. The fans feel like they're on top of you and uh, just a great place to call rugby and I'm assuming play rugby as well. LA, they stick it out. This is a, a real gutsy win from them because San Diego were desperate. They had to win this game to stay alive. They were strong, probably the strongest they've been in a while. Um, LA, as you know, crazy morning. Uh, and the captain's run as they just ruled out player after player after player but they hold on and win. They actually come back and win in the second half, Pete. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was a really interesting game. And I, I, I looked at this when I saw the, the change in lineup. I said, oh, this is, this is San Diego. Um, I felt like the San Diego pack, I was looking at the pack and I'm like, that's a pack that's really, really going to um, do some good stuff. You know, especially with Paddy Ryan. He had Chris Robshaw coming back. You know, so I thought it was a really, really... You know, they had a really good opportunity, but and, and LA were under pressure in that first half, right? Um, and and it, they really, really gathered it out. I was really impressed by this LA team. 93% tackle rate. I mean, that's great. Um, but San Diego was 90. I thought this was a good game. Both teams had seven, 13 penalties. So a, a few penalties more than you would like. And and you know, with Paddy Ryan, as you would expect, um, going up against Blake Rogers. That was one of those, you know, early, like late, late scratches. He, he really had the way in, in the scrum. So I thought San Diego were going to pull this out right up until LA, <laughs> right up until LA won it. The whole time yeah. I'm like, I think San Diego is going to win this one. I think San Diego is going to win this one. Um, but, but they just weren't able to do it. You know, um, LA played a smarter game. I think they, they played a little bit more of a territory game. Um, uh, San Diego, I think probably tried to do a little bit too much inside their own half, which is unusual for them. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a, a really, really exciting game. Yeah, I agree. It was a game uncharacteristic. You talk about obviously all the great qualities that Matt Gitto brings to the side. Goal kicking, three missed kicks in the first half for LA yeah, is not true. a normal yeah. kind of thing yeah. for them. And especially at that stadium, it's a great stadium to kick at too. Big post, nice field, grass. Right. You know, there's just, yeah, it was it was interesting to see those misses, and you're kind of thinking. You know, when a kicker goes through that and you're like, oh, it's just not their day and it can kind of then run through the team. It's like, oh, it's just not going to be LA's day. So to, to turn that around and get the win was pretty impressive. So, so that wasn't, it was uh, Burton that was kicking, right? Correct. That's what I was saying. You missed Matt Gitto for oh, obviously I'm sorry, who he is. I, I both players a... kicked. Yeah. Both players missed. Right. Both Cardo and, and Burton. Yeah. 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 Well, we, they had to make that change, right? Because Burton missed the first three in the first half. So, but Matt Gitto has been pretty consistent off the tee. All right. Last game, Austin on the road, must win against Seattle. Seattle resurgent, playing much better under Alan Clark now. But Austin, they hold on up there and get the win and keep their playoff hopes alive as well, Pete. 
So I, this was such an interesting game because, you know, if you look at the Gil, the Gilgronies season, you would say their problem wasn't, was like they, they did everything right. They had a great defense. Um, they had a good kicking game, but they weren't able to take opportunities. And here, all they did was take opportunities, right? Um, I mean, they scored three tries from turnovers. Uh, you know, the very first try for Maka Jones, um, Yamada, under, you know, in the shadow of his post, throws the ball between his legs into the try zone. I mean, I mean, that was crazy, but there was a, a you know, a, a bad kickoff. And then, you know, Frank Alai finished it off um, with a, with a, um, an interception, but this was a, I actually think, you know, um, Seattle outplayed Austin in this game. Uh, they just couldn't get over the line. Right. So they had, um, I think three chances where they were in five, within five meters of the Austin line in that first half and, and wasn't able to score. Um, but they've found someone that can score and that's foodie right on the wing. This is a young, um, American Samoan, you know, that they signed about a month ago from the local rugby club. And this guy is crazy good. I mean, he is like powerful. He's quick. I mean, he's a small guy, but, but, but he can finish. So I thought this was like a really, really good, um, you know, uh, Seattle performance in general, you know, uh, uh, Austin had to make 181 tackles, um, but they're at a 92% tackle rate. So that's why they're able to help hold it out. And Austin had a huge problem with penalties, right? I mean, they kind of kept Seattle in the game in the second half. You know, it looked like Austin, I think after that, um, Frank Palai um, score and then Kurt Morath kicked and it was 10 points up with like five minutes to go. And I'm like, oh, it's over. And then they just start giving away penalties. And it's like penalty, penalty, penalty. And all of a sudden Seattle scoring from a line out and it's close with a couple of minutes to go. So um, good game. I think Seattle, you know, again, like moral victories aren't always what you want, but um, you know, they're, they're what, they are what you will take um, in a game like this. And I think the loss of James Malcolm um, early, the hooker, uh, Mike Shepard came in. First thing it is, he missed the line out. And then I think he missed another line out. And then they stopped like taking line out. So, you know, you're not going to score points if you're not willing to, you know, I, I think they did that a little early. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a good game. And, and it was the game that the uh, AGs had to, had to take. Yeah, Seattle fans probably don't want to hear this, but I think they outplayed Old Glory and lost, Utah and lost. Right. I think they outplayed New England and lost in New England. And I think they outplayed Austin and lost on the weekend too. So, again, like I said, moral victories don't uh, affect the standings, unfortunately. But they're a lot closer than what uh, their their standings reflect. So they're getting pretty close. Speaking of standings, and, and, Pete, and, and, let's move on to playoff implications. Now you've talked too long. You've gone well, too long. I've well, got to put you on okay, a word well, limit. I'll just say this. Um, the, uh, the the playoff stat didn't work on this game. Oh, that's, that's why I tried to move you on quickly. Yeah. Turnover stat, not playoff stat. Let's go playoff implications. Power stat. The power stat. Power stat. The power stat. All right. Who was eliminated on the weekend? Who, who can start planning for Mad Monday? Well, I mean, there's a difference between being eliminated and not actually going to make it, right? So yeah, we've, got to, we've got to be fair mathematically. San Diego out, right? I mean, there's they've got three games to go, so the most they can get is is 15 points. So yep. theoretic, mathematically, they're in because they can get to 47, but that requires Utah not to get another point, right? So San Diego are out. Mathematically, um, they've got one weekend left here. Yeah, AGs, AGs, and Utah are battling for that second spot. Um, you know, and and they both have. Uh, the Giltinis have a game in hand, right? So they're going to play on July yeah. 4th while yep. Utah and the AGs don't. Um, in the, you know, the other side is is a little bit more open, um, you know, so uh, uh, partly because there's more games to play. Yep. So uh, let me have a Toronto look. is out. Toronto is out. That. Old Monday. Glory, in theory, is still in, right? Because they, they have four games so they can get um, 20 points. You know, 20 points, and they can catch New York, but that requires um, New York to have no more than six points in their last four games. Mm -hmm. And it also allows Utah not to have eight points or nine points. And like, I think Old Glory is out, but they're not mathematically out. Right. We'll talk, right? we'll talk in, I think, a week, maybe two with them. Well, I think, yeah, I, I mean, I think like they have to win it, like they have to win out. 
So if they lose any of their games, they can't make right. it. And, you know, I, I think kind of like the free jacks are a little bit the same in that boat, just because the teams above them are going to win. They have to, they have to win out. Nola don't actually have to win out if New York doesn't, which is interesting. Right. They just need to start picking up some bonus points and here and there, but it'll be tight. I think there's some games this weekend we'll talk about a little later where some of those top four teams on the East Coast are going to play against each other. So yeah, right, right. That, that will definitely make it a little bit clearer, the picture on the East. But for now, let's stay on the previous week's action as we welcome in our player of the week. Uh, big fan. Anyone out there who is struggling on the fashion side of things, Pete Steinberg perhaps, Get this guy on speed dial because he is he's a fashionista of the Major League Rugby world. Uh, great player. Played out of position, as we'll talk about, and did a great job and, and deserving for our Player of the Week this week. So let's bring him in, Billy Meeks from the LA Guiltinis. All right, we are joined now by Player of the Week for Major League Rugby. And uh, I'm a little nervous to call him a center anymore after the weekend. <laughs> uh, what? What should we uh, label you now, Meeksy, Mr. Versatility, or have you fully acclimated to the back row now, you and Angus vying for the number one uh, back rower for the Guiltinis? Uh, yeah, I mean, guys, thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, I, don't, I don't want to be known as a back rower. I just want to make that super clear. Um, I'm happy to go with the hybrid, being called a hybrid and being available to fill in when needed, but um, I made it pretty clear to DC this morning when I rolled in for review that um, I was hoping that was only a one-week job. Uh, so hopefully I can find myself back in the centres sometime soon. But, um, yeah, just waiting on Poitman to get back fit. And uh, I think he's looking good for this weekend. So fingers crossed. When did That's you, good when to did hear, mate. There was a famous steel player, uh, Cordell Stewart, and his nickname was Slash. So maybe you can take the same nickname. He was a quarterback, running back, receiver, played a bit of defensive back as well. So... You might have to become the slash of the Guiltinis. I'm available. I'm available for nicknames. When did you um, find out that you were playing back row? I know that there were some late changes. Uh, it was pretty late on in the week. I think um, DC mentioned to me after the game the week before that, because um, I obviously played 20 minutes when we lost a few people. Uh, he mentioned to me after the game that there's a, there's a possibility that they actually might need me to fill in there. Um, so he sort of gave me the heads up, but then, um, yeah, it all sort of snowballed throughout the week. And, um, as Swoop was fit to play 13, uh, it sort of just, yeah, it sort of worked out all right. And I suppose the, the way that we sort of play general in general attack, um, and defense, it sort of allows me to roam anyway. And it just sort of meant we had an extra ball player on the field, I suppose, in a sense, and, um, just tried to get out of everyone's way when it came to set piece time. <laughs> I know. I was checking. They didn't throw any any to you in the line out, right? They didn't throw. I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you weren't a line out target, but you did have three breakdown steals. Yes. So, yeah. Mean, that's, well, a, that's that's you know that's that's what you do. Had, had you played back row before this season? Is that something like when you were younger that you played? No, no. I've, I've never I've never played back row um, at all. Um, not even when I was a kid, but. Um, obviously the breakdown side of things is something that I enjoy anyway, um, playing in the centers. And, um, it's something that I picked up when I was playing in England, uh, under Laurie Fisher, who's obviously at the Brumbies now. And he, um, he prides himself on his breakdown detail and that side of the game. So, um, I was fortunate enough to work under him for a few years and then, um, yeah, I suppose playing back row, you're a little bit more in and around the breakdown. So there's a bit more opportunity, but, um, yeah, the line out was a funny one because I, I obviously ran out with my legs strapped up as you do as a, as a jumping option. And uh, as soon as I got on the field, the first line out, Chris Robshaw said to me, pretty sure they're not going to throw to Billy so we can mark we can mark everywhere else. So I was just standing there with my hands up in the front of the line out and I was like, just throw it to me. But um, no, it was, it was a bit of a laugh and I'm, I'm, glad, we, um, I'm glad we came away with the win and um, I was able to do a job there for the boys. Well, so you've had a pretty long and, and uh, winding journey that got you to LA. Um, Joey's boy, you know, born on the northern beaches, played at Joey's, which is probably, you know, I don't want to get in trouble, but probably the greatest rugby school in Australia or no one has is producing in terms of Wallabies, uh, mm -hmm. super rugby players and so on and so on. Tell us a little bit about your journey once you wrapped up from high school uh, you talked about playing with Laurie over in the UK, but you also spent time at the Rebels. You played a bit of sevens for Australia as well. Mm -hmm. How did you end up in LA? 
Um, yeah, it has been a bit of a journey. I, um, I sort of ended up here or ended up my professional career started sort of sort of the opposite to how it starts for most players in Australia. I suppose when you're in Australia, you come up through the school system, you either play Australian 20s or you go into the club system and then you obviously fight for a sort of rugby contract. Um, where mine was a little bit different is when I finished playing with the Australian under 20s and the sevens, I actually couldn't get a super rugby contract. I was obviously trying. I was in a few academies. and um, But to be honest, I probably just wasn't good enough at the time looking back. Um, but I obviously had an opportunity that popped up overseas to have a trial with uh, a team called Bristol. Um, and that didn't really work out at the time. They had a pretty full playing roster and um, Gloucester at the time had a few injuries. So I was pretty lucky to go over there and start training with them. And then another few boys got injured um, and I, I made my debut um, about six months after being in the UK, coming from club rugby in a premiership game at Twickenham in front of 80,000 people. So it was it's a bit of a whirlwind and I was, I think I was 22, 23 um, when I made my debut. And from there, I played a few good games, ended up signing with Gloucester, stayed there for three really good seasons. Um, and that's when I got the opportunity to come back and play Super Rugby, which is obviously all green. Uh, first with the Western Force and then um, moved to the Rebels for a couple of years as well. And then uh, here I am in LA. So I've sort of been all around the block and um, been fortunate enough to play at some pretty cool teams. But um, yeah, loving it here, obviously. So when you sign, obviously you're playing with some pretty established names. Did you know they were coming over or that was that part of the appeal to come to LA? Was it just LA or were there other MLR teams pursuing you as well? Uh, no, it was just LA. Um, I, I actually didn't know about the boys that, that are here now before I signed. I was, I was probably, I think I was either first or second to sign here. It was a, it was a fair while ago. Um, and it wasn't, it was obviously based on sort of other, other facts, not, not the fact that those boys were coming, but um, I suppose that was just the icing on the cake. I, I knew that they were putting a pretty good squad together and that was, there was whispers around a few different names, but nothing was set in stone and, um, yeah, I, I think I'd already signed before those boys had been offered stuff. So let's talk a little bit about the game on the weekend. Obviously, a Southern California rivalry, right? And a team in San Diego that was kind of a bit on the rise. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, do you guys talk about that being like the king of SoCal leading up into the week? Do you talk about maybe how it was a little bit different than some of the other weeks in MLR? Definitely. Um, it's actually really cool to have a derby game. Obviously, all around the world, you have your, your local derbies and this was no different. Obviously, we haven't had one yet. Um, and I mean, our owner, Gilly, made a trophy called the Cali Cup, which I'm sure in a few years time will have a lot more history. But to play for that for the first time was was pretty cool for us. And then, as you said, San Diego, um, you know, very talented team uh, with a lot of potential and they obviously had a lot to play for and they certainly came out of the blocks like that. Um, so that was a really tough game. The atmosphere down there was unbelievable. It was my first time in San Diego and that pitch is awesome in the uni there. And um, the crowd was, was feisty. They were, they were diehard San Diego fans. And um, yeah, I just really enjoyed the experience. There was a little bit of extra edge in the game. It was definitely, uh, in my opinion, our toughest game to date. And, um, you know, one that could have gone either way. I was in the balance, obviously, for 60, 65 minutes and we're lucky enough to hang on. But, um, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that win and it was, it was a really satisfying one because it was so hard. Um, and it's definitely going to do us, um, do us good moving forward to, to sort of grind out tough games like that because we've obviously lost a couple on the road um, to Atlanta and New York. So um, to come away with that is, is a good boost to the squad. Um, and, and let's talk a little bit, you know, as you've said, you were, you've stepped in at the last minutes to be able to um, play flanker and you look across at the scrum and you've got Chris Robshaw, a pretty experienced flanker, right? Did you, can you talk um, about any of the uh, stuff that you had to do? Like at that first breakdown from the scrum, did you find yourself um, hitting them? Like hitting hitting Robshaw, like we like oh I cleared him out oh oh he cleared me out did you find that did you get those those uh, those battles? Um, yeah, I think I think we probably met head to head maybe once or twice throughout the game. Unfortunately, he actually had to go off through injury um, with his shoulder. But it was a funny moment in the game. I did firstly I did think about it a lot leading up into the game. But I'm playing number seven against Chris Robshaw. This is just ridiculous. Um, but obviously, once you get out there, it all it all just becomes a little bit more normal. But we, we did have one instance where we, we actually went into a mall and Chris 
Chris ripped the ball off one of our boys. So he got a turnover, turned around, went to deck, and then I went on ball and got a turnover. So we almost got a turnover at the same time. And we're lying on the ground. That's I said, that's one, he said, that's one each. And, I said, and, he, and he said something like, uh, nice turnover or something like that. But, um, yeah, that was, that was a cool battle. And obviously I remember that forever. And it was super nice after the game. And he said to me, is this, is this you for good now? You might add an extra couple of years on your career. I said, no, mate, that's a, that's a one-week job. You could give it to him saying, Chris, you've done this for 30 years. I've done it for 30 minutes and I've got the same number of turnovers. <laughs> Pack it in. Hey, mate, how, how's LA life treating you? Let's talk a little bit of social stuff. LA life, you're embracing the lifestyle there. It seems to fit your personality quite well. Who are your sports teams? Are you you got the Lakers hat on, so I won't ask basketball. I'm guessing the Lakers are it. you got the Rams, the Chargers. Uh, you've got uh, the Dodgers. Angels, I'm like, I'm nervous to get the wrong team in here because LA fans are pretty rapid. But who have you embraced? You've already named more than I'm aware of. But obviously, Lakers, um, that was a pretty easy pick purely because of them winning it last year. I jumped straight on that bandwagon. Um, So, Lakers, man, uh, Dodgers, man, I'm yet to get to a game. We're meant to go a few weeks ago and I haven't chosen an NFL team yet. So, um, that's there for the taking. But LA lifestyle. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't get much better to be honest. I, that was a that was a big factor of me moving over here. Um, obviously, I've got my missus here now and the dog, and we've settled in really nicely. And we've just got a really good group of boys that are sort of a mixture between. Obviously, we've got a few Aussies, but older guys, younger guys, a lot of local guys. Um, we're all sort of scattered along the coast here, and yeah, I suppose just off the pitch, we're just having a really good time and, and I'm a big believer in culture and it's what you do off the field that really drives you on the field and I think we're getting the balance just right at the moment and you know, a big part of that's our owner, obviously, and then our coaches that are driving that side of thing as well. So, um, yeah, I'm having an absolute ball and really enjoying my time here. All right, let's test your knowledge on LA, all right? Usually I've gone true or false, but you're, you're a sharp guy. You're a Joey's boy, well-educated, so I need answers for you. All right, you ready? Yeah. What valuable uh, – I, I don't want to give too much away. Something valuable was discovered under Dodgers Stadium in 1892. What was it? No idea. Was it gold? That was a good guess. It, it helps your car run, though. Oil. Oil. Bing. I'll give you half a point because that's a tough one to start. The next one. Hollywood <laughs> is famous for its film industry. Why was – LA chosen for the film industry in America? Um, should I know this? Is this common knowledge? No. I only okay. figured it out three minutes yeah. ago when Thanks. I, I searched yeah. it on my phone. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you multiple, multiple choice. Multiple okay. choice. Ready? Uh, the laws in LA County were so lax they were able to film whatever, whenever they wanted. Okay. Thomas Edison owned all the patents for the film industry and he was on the East Coast in New Jersey. So they went as far away from him as possible so they didn't get caught. How could you make that up? Or yeah. C, it just happened that they were in LA and they did it that way. There's no, there's no answer. It's just the way it was. Okay, well, if it is C, I'm not locking that in yet, but if it is, I'm very impressed with your first two multiple choice because you've thrown me there. Yeah, um, I'm good at this stuff. Yeah, like Tom, Thomas Edison out of the bag. That's outstanding. Um, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with... C. It, it was it was B. It was Thomas it Edison. Was I'm, B. I'm not as good as I actually thought I was, so... Okay, right. well, now I know. Now I know. All right. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm teasing you here, so I'll give you the last one, and I'm going to ask you a bit about your teammates. The Hollywood sign, super famous. Yeah. You've got the photo. You've seen it. What was the original sign, and what did it say? And if you can tell me what the sign was originally for, you win. I'll have Gilly make you an entirely new cup just for that. Okay, so what was the sign? What did it originally say? Yep. Again, is this common knowledge? I would say it would be over here, but for you and I, probably not. Okay. You can you can phone a friend. Pete Steinberg's on the line. Yeah, I'd like to try and see if Pete's across this. I, I have no idea. Yeah, good. What a great friend. You could have, Cheers, you could have been googling while I was asking. Cheers, Pete. There's my lifeline gone. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, hey, um, hey, Billy, Billy, just just stall, and, and I'll find the answer because I just want to get Dan to have to buy a cup. For you. Yeah, Gilly's gonna buy, not me. <laughs> yeah, you can design it. I'll fill it with Gilly's beer, though. Yeah, that's a good deal. Yeah, I'm sure he can supply that. While I'm stalling, um, is it a good beer? How is Gilly's beer? I'm curious. Honestly, unbelievable. What would you compare it to? Um, probably like a like a sort of slightly heavier Forex. That's not bad. I'd like to give it a yeah, try now. Session beer. Yeah, crushing. Super cold. Hey, American hey, lager. Hey, Billy. Billy, take, yeah. um, take your uh, earbuds out. Dan. No, not you. Dan. Oh, oh Dan. you said Billy too. To be fair, you're no, no, a terrible like, phone say, frame. Dan, Dan, take take your earbuds out. He's lying. So, I believe it's Hollywood Land. Okay. Okay. All right. Put your headphones back in. Yeah. Did, you was it Hollywood Hollywood Land? Yeah, mate. From the clouds, <laughs> you picked it. It was. Do you know why it was Hollywood Land? This no, this is. Yeah, I do. This is crazy. So Hollywood Land was a housing development and it was an advertisement for people to buy the houses and it became no so iconic, they took the land off and just left the Hollywood sign up there. No so there way. you go. Some famous uh, famous movies. I love that. There are things up there. Uh, what's your favourite movie based in LA? There you go. I'll give you one more. Uh, based in LA. Um... So you can go Point Break, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, what are some other ones? Did, I'm pretty sure, didn't they live on the coast, California? Because there was a certain Classic. sand in the wax and they figured out it was the, only on one beach in Southern California. Yeah, fair. What about the OC? Can I lock that in as a series? You've got to hum the theme for me and then I'll let you have it. California. Here we come. Yeah. Love it. Boom. Five out of five. Good stuff. Thank you. Thanks for the All right. Teammates, now you're... You're the king of Instagram, and, and a few of your teammates have said it's a it's a must follow. Um, who's in your opinion? Who's second? And then who's the worst at in- Instagram at LA? Who's second? Um, I'm just trying to figure out who runs a, like a tight ship. A few of the boys are really good. Um, Glenn Bryce runs a pretty tight ship. He's a funny character. Um, I think, yeah, he's, he just needs to build his following up a little bit, but he's, yeah, he, he runs a pretty good, pretty good Instagram. Um, worst, who would run the worst? Um, oh, Seru. Seru, he's hilarious. He, he just, all he does is just share random TikToks and then takes them down straight away. But he, he runs a pretty awful Instagram. I actually had a few quiet words to him about that. Has you figured it out now? Some people still think it's like a private messaging and they start posting stuff on their social media. You're like, this is it's not private. Everyone can see what you're posting. Yeah, you yeah. Stop posting no, that stuff. He's, he's got no idea what's going on. It's it was like uh, there's a politician over here who got in trouble for liking uh, a, an adult <laughs> film star's stuff and then realized everyone could see what you were liking and then had to quickly go back. And my phone, someone had my phone. Blame the, the older sister. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> All right, Meeksy, we've pretty much hit it all. We've all the things. We've hit movies. We've hit the adult movies, which are famous in LA, but stay away from yeah. that. I know you, you, you're spoken you hit for. That. But I didn't hear that. I, correct. Way to, way to deflect and get me in trouble. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, honey. But, uh, mate, loving what you're doing over there. Really enjoying watching you play footy. Uh, unbelievable um, performances so far. Good to see you back from the cheekbone as well. I know that must have put a bit of a, a scare through the camp early in the year, but you've come back better than ever and looking forward to finishing strong in 2021. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. Appreciate it. There you go, Billy Meeks. Player of the week for MLR, the number seven, uh, the hybrid slash Meeks. The hybrid slash Meeks. Love it. There you go, Pete. It's It was a little bit of a concern. I mean, we talked the morning of the game and I saw Meeks wearing seven and he's a very hard-nosed center. Like, I didn't have any problems with him physically being able to handle the seven. But tactically, there was always there's always a difference, right? Like you're in a different part of the field. Your your first step is in a different direction from twelve to seven, and where you're going and what you should be doing. And mate, he just handled it 
like he had played there his whole life. He was outstanding. His nose was in every ruck. He was making his hits. He was carrying. He did carry a little wider than what you usually see a seven, which is more of where he's accustomed to, but he was effective and still did his job everywhere else. So I was super impressed with that performance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, the, the guy's obviously a great athlete and a great rugby player. And the way he plays center, you can see that transition and working, right? So, because like you said, he's physical. The thing for me that I was really impressed about is that, and he talked to that, you know, when he talked about Rob Shaw, is that Rob Shaw doesn't have to think about where he's going to go from that scrum, right? He just, he just goes there. And, you know, Billy had to think a little bit, but I think he just had a little bit more athleticism and maybe a bit more speed. So I, I think his, spe- his speed was helping him correct any line issues that they have. There's some very specific lines that, that, that you need to get through. So, you know, that's kind of, um, you know, but yeah, impressive. And, and just like, I feel like, you know, Billy Meeks' performance was a little bit like LA's performance, just gutsy. Like put in a difficult yeah. position and just guts it out. And, you know, it shows you that these guys aren't all flash, you know, at the start of the season. And now when you start looking, you're like, wow, yeah, about 50% of their games, they blow, blow them out. But the other 50%, they're in a battle. Like they're yeah. teams that are stepping up and battling them. Like this is not a team that is guaranteed to win this whole thing. Yeah, but this is a team that, that is showing some heart and some grit to be able to pull it out. I wonder if this opens the door now for players to start going to DC, going to Darren Coleman and being like, I want to change positions. Like JP Smith, after that kick through earlier, he goes, hey, I want to play a little 10. You know, you move Billy to seven. It's time for a few of us to go the other way. And uh, a couple of the forwards moving into the backs. We'll have to find out. All right, Pete, let's jump into the professor's tactics now. It's getting over the try line and we teased it with the Houston one. It is becoming a, a bit of a talking point, though, as some sides get into the 22 and really struggle to convert their pressure into the points. So tell us what your theory is or what your tactics are for this. I, I, I think, first of all, the best thing is to score not having the ball a few meters from the try line. It's the hardest place to score, and it's the hardest place to score for a couple of reasons. So first of all, all of the back, there's, there's very little kicking option. So all of the back three up. So normally, if you're you know not within, when you're outside the opposition 22, you're really defending 12, right? With a nine and a couple of back three. Maybe, you know, maybe you're even defending 11 when you're going from your own half, right? So the line is, is less populated the further away you get away from your um, from the try line, right? So the best thing is to actually look to turn breaks into tries. This is actually what the Giltinis do really, really well, right? Um, and actually, I think Old Glory do it pretty well too. Like when they make breaks, they have support and you want to look for that support, right? So that, that's the first thing. The second thing is use your line out and use your set and use your scrum, right? So the line out is good because it's when you set them all, it's the only place that people can be in front of the ball carrier right, legally, and block you. And it's the reason why 50% of, of line-out, um, you know, uh, 50% of tries comes from line-out. So you've got to be using your line-out. The scrum is useful because there's more space to attack. So, you know, we saw this a little bit in Seattle. I'd have done it a little bit early, but, you know, when they got the ball, five-meter scrum to Foodie one-on-one, he's going to beat the opposite guy, right? So when you've got a stepper in, in your wing and you use that scrum, and then also from the scrum, Dan, I don't think people are using the new laws enough so the new law is the scrum half needs to be behind the tunnel. That allows the eight now to become um, the distributor. It allows your nine to be a playmaker. And down near the line, those extra pairs of hands can have a huge difference. Okay. So those are all sort of like the, the you know, so score from like have support. So you score from afar and then use your set piece to be able to get over the line. Now, this, this last thing I think is, is, um, is interesting. And we saw this in Seattle a little bit which is when you get near the line and you see all the forwards get close and they do pick and goes, it's all about trying to manipulate the defense, right? So, so when you do your pick and goes with the forwards, it's all about great body position and it's all about good support. There's way too much for my liking as a coach, turnovers for breakdown steals that happen near the line. Like there's zero excuse for that. To happen. I think I saw San Diego did it against LA. They had the ball, they were near the line, they picked, they had a pick and go, and that's just a la- lack of accuracy, both by the ball player and the supporter. So you've got to make sure that you've got your body position right, that the ball carrier is really fighting to be able to get place that ball back, and the supporter taking away hands, right? So you've got to do that. You want to pick and go the same way. And the reason why you want to pick and go the same way is you want to be able to exhaust the defense on that side. And as you 
you know, and so, and so the options are exhaust the, the defense on that side and eventually you'll find a little hole, right? So you want to find a little bit of space that requires you to go a little bit faster, right? So when you see that space, you want to be able to go a little bit faster, but with the forwards, you're going to basically score if you go the same way, but with the backs, you're going to score if you change direction. And the reason why that is, is that the forwards pick and go, they're attracting defenders to the, to the side that they're attacking, which means that you're not creating space on that side for the backs, right? You're actually, because you, when you pick and go, you're not actually going to be taking out any of the back defenders. So really, really good back attack in that, in that situation is you pick and go to the right, you pick and go, you keep going to the right, and then the back swing left, right? So when enough defenders have been drawn to that side, the back swing left because you have a trail of forwards that will all be tight. And it's going to be very diff difficult for the defensive backs to follow you and get to that far side. So finish your breaks, use your set piece, forwards go the same way, backs change their direction. Love it. I love it. I was going to say, what we see a lot is when the set piece, you said 50% of the tries are coming from there. But when that set piece fails, what do you go to? Like yeah, that's I mean, what I'm noticing more yeah. and more is the phase reset team seem to get themselves lost. Just there. Oh, our lineout didn't work. Oh. So the it's the worst attacking position on the field is from a, a, a lineout that didn't work because you've got all your forwards that are stuck there. There's no support for the backs. The only thing you can really do is take one of your centers, run them into the meat of the defense that's close to that hinge, right? Hopefully get a little bit of go forward, right? You, see, you saw Seattle do this really well with Russ Neal. They take Russ Neal, they bring him out from 13. They let him run really, really good tight line. That gets the forwards that are in the mall to be able to come around, provide support, and then build some sort of shape from there. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. It, it's the reason why I like in those situations to not just have a straight drive. Like you need to do mm -hmm. something. You need to shift your drive, you need to share, you need to do something near the line because the defense will be so committed to defending that original drive, it's going to be really hard. There you go, folks. Get call him. Coaches, call the professor. Let him come in. He's he'll fix it up. All right, let's go into this weekend's game, mate. Uh, we have a ton of games and all of them on Saturday, bar one. So hold on as I run through these quickly. Uh, starting at 4.30, it's New York at Toronto in Atlanta. TSN up in Canada, MSG in New York, the Rugby Network everywhere else. Saturday, 6, NBC. Uh, NBC oh, I'm in trouble. CBS Sports Game of the Week. It's NOLA at New England. This is a critical one, folks. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Also Saturday, 8 p.m., two games will kick off at 8 p.m. First, Utah at Houston. Big one for Utah. AT&T Sportsnet, KSL in Utah and the Rugby Network everywhere else. And then DC at Atlanta. So we're going to have two games at Atlanta again on a Saturday, which is awesome. I love that doubleheader. Uh, NBC, uh, SW in the Washington area, WATL in Atlanta, the Rugby Network everywhere else. Late game, Austin at San Diego. Another big game with playoff implications. This one on FS1. So we're on the big Fox this time. And then Sunday, the lone game will be LA. At Seattle, Bally Sports in LA, Root up in the Pacific Northwest, TRN everywhere else. All right, Stats Boy, let's bring him in. It was, uh, I think I had a mixed week on the picks uh, this week. There was a couple I changed late and it hurt me. I think we uh, we, we all had a mixed week, really. Uh, it was uh, it was an interesting one. All three of us, we went down two spots each. So just, just to point that out. Uh, but before we get to that, so um, two numbers, I guess maybe three, because but two of them are connected. 49. Um, you should both know this because this was in our chat. Um, that is uh, the number of players that uh, Seattle has used this year. 49. Um, and uh, the next number is uh, 42. Uh, Sam Windsor is the Iron Man of the league. He has started 42 straight matches, and he almost didn't start this one, but is the only player to start every single game in MLR's history. And he also uh, is the first player in 2021 to reach 100 points. Um, just, just, just another note, 32. 
32 is the number of players Seattle used when they won in year one. And I'm, I, I, think, I think when we look out over 10 years of MLR, what we'll see is the teams that use the least players, right, are they going to be the ones that are going to make the playoffs? Because the depth isn't, you know, when you're using 49, not 49 players, that 49th and 48th and 47th player is not an MLR player, right? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. in terms of quality, right? And so, and so if you don't, if you can only use 32, 33, 34 players, then that's your core squad that you probably had originally. You're not getting any guys from your development squad or from local club rugby and you're not calling people in to, you know, and so, those guys, I think, I think we'll see the teams that do well over over the long term are going to be the ones that have the least injuries. Important to note that in in year one, uh, thirty two players probably did it because it was an eight game season. Um, but uh, San Diego and Utah both rostered like over forty five players. Yeah, I think I think San Diego in year one had fifty two or something crazy. Like now, that. now That's I think crazy. San Diego. I think they ended up using 44. I, I would okay. need to go back and check my notes because I have notes on this, but that was a lot of players for an yeah. eight game season. When you had two buys, it was two buys in an eight game season. So, right. um, but yeah, so those are uh, the crazy numbers of week 14, but to get into uh, how we did uh, Dan um, from being in a spot where he could probably overtake scary Larry rugby. He's um well, you're falling back, man, um, and I am falling out of respectability. But uh, uh, Dan dropped from eighth to to tenth, um, and I fell from sixteenth to eighteenth. And then uh, the professor is uh, <laughs> you're heading towards the forties, man. And uh, this this was a weird week because if you and, and this is this I think this goes with uh, you know Pete's theory is like if you really know rugby. It is impossible to pick these games because I picked against Utah because they rotated their entire squad. And I picked against LA because they made 11 changes and they had a ton of injuries. That's right. Yeah, I did. I did the same thing. I made a late switch from LA. I shouldn't have. Never, un, uh, never doubt a champion. All right, Pete, let's pick this weekend's game. New York at Toronto in Atlanta. New York. New York. I'm going with you on that one. I, I think, think New York to bounce York, back. I, I think so. So Toronto, I think, are doing two things. So first of all, they lost Spencer Jones. Um, looked like a pretty bad injury. Uh, mm -hmm. That's going to hurt Canada. Um, but I think I think Toronto are, are going to help Canada play well by playing the players they need to play and then looking at some of the younger players. So New York are in the playoff spot. Um, you know, I think I think New York win this. I think they win it. You know, 32-15 or something like that. Yeah, it's, it could be an interesting roster coming out for Toronto as well. So I, I still think that they've got an upset or two down the road. That... Well, remember Sam Malcolm's back. So he, I don't think he was able to play this past weekend, just came back from Japan. So, you know, Rob Brower's back. They've got a couple other guys that I think that, that are going to be joining them. So, you know, I think, I you know, it, it, that, that could end up being an upset. You're right. That It'll be interesting to see that roster. All right. Nola at New England. I don't know. Do you, do you bet against Nola on the road anymore? <laughs> like, well, New England New undefeated at home. home. Yeah, so someone season ends on this game. That's my. That's thought. right. No, no, I think that's right. I think I think if if you lose, um, I think I think your season's done. Um, so you got to ask yourself, like where, yeah, where are Nola strong? Where are New England strong? And then where are they weak? And which one? Hurts the other one so, most. So I think that I think Nola have a strong defense. I think they can. I think they've got a great line out, um, and they've got a really good scrum. Uh, I think um, New England have a better attack, and I think New England can score more points. So it's like if this is a close game where both teams are in the teens, I think I think like Nola probably win that game. Um, I think if if it ends up being you know like in the thirties, you would think that New England would. Yeah, I'm kind of yeah, that's a tough one. All right, I mean, Utah I think, I think, I think, I think at Houston. Be... Oh, hold it, hold it. Did we call that one? We got to pick them, right? Or is that are you doing that? Are you doing Nola at New England? I'm doing. I am doing that one. I can't pick it. Sorry. Okay. All right. Right. So that. Oh, I'll pick it. So, so just to help Nate Osborne, 
right? On on his like on the road, like two months, I'm gonna pick New England and I'm gonna say New England wins 25-23. But that's basically a pick for Nola, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, uh, Utah, Houston, Saturday night down there at Aviva. So interestingly, I think Houston made some selections because they really want to win this game. It's their last home game. I think I think it's sort of like the last chance to play in front of their of their crowd. But this is a must win again for Utah, right? I mean, it's probably not a must win, but it's a win when you know because they lose so many players to the to the um, international window. It's only one game that they're going to lose. Um, also, one game where they're going to be away, but I think it's a really, really important game. So I think this is Utah, but I think Houston play really well. I think Utah wins this 33-30. Yeah, they I mean, have I mean, to. I mean, I don't know where I don't know if Houston gets their thirty points, but I feel like the 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 like they're going to be competitive in this game. Mate, they're they're going to have the professor's tactics on loop in the locker room all week in the gym. Do this, and we're going to be fine. We're going to score some drives. I don't know if you saw. Um, they put up a piece to celebrate Sam getting to 100 points and Diego Mano, their number eight, had a funny one. He goes, congrats, great. Can we stop kicking for post now and start scoring tries? So that's, uh, that's pretty sharp, Diego. That was good. I like that one a lot. Uh, yeah, I would say Utah. Yeah, I was so impressed with what they did in New York on the road. And, but, but, um, but they're so another team a little for. bit like Nola. Like at some point, can they mentally repeat this? I mean, I mean, like, yeah, I like think they coming can. behind takes a lot out of you, right? That that yeah, they're the cardiac kids. So you, you build belief, but it's also pretty exhausting. Yeah, and you've got you know five players leaving the next week, so uh, a big it's a big it's a big ask for both the Shawns, right? Pitters and Davies to to get them up again after a long road trip to New York and home and then back to Houston. That's a, that's a long flight too from Utah to Houston. So it's a tough one, but yeah, Utah, just because so much on the line to play for. All right. DC at Atlanta in Atlanta. I mean, I think this is ATL. I think that they, you know, they've, they've, they're, they're now at a level of consistency. Like we know what we're going to get. It's not going to be a high scoring game. Um, you know, they're, they've got like, you know, is Matt Eaton back this weekend? Um, you know, they've, they've, they've had some injuries, right? So, um, but I think this is ATL. I, I don't think DC are actually really good in open play, right? They're really good off turnovers. They're not as good in phase play. And ATL, I think, will shut them down. I think the ATL scrum is, you know, DC scrum's been pretty good too. But I think this is ATL. But I think it's like, you know, a typical ATL game, 19-14 to ATL. Yeah, both, I'll go ATL both, both as well. Yeah, yeah, ATL. I love, I love the way they play, and they're they're tough at home. So, all right, Austin on the road, Torero Stadium, Saturday night. Uh, what are you thinking, Austin, San Diego? This is a good game for you to have on on Big Fox, right? Big Fox Sports. Um, this is a this is a tough one. Like San Diego played so well last last weekend. Um, but they're out. I mean, they're, they're fundamentally out. Like, there's no way that, you know, and they'll know that they're out, actually, if if Utah win, right? That, Correct. You know, they, 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 you know, they'll know that going into the game. Um, Austin, with the move to Kurt Morath, um, or the move of Kurt Morath to 10, has actually been scoring more points, right, the last couple of weeks. They, they you know, looks looks like a little, a little better, moving Matt Mason to 15, where he's a more natural runner. Like, you know, um, he had a really good break that led to Roach's try. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the uh, um, I think this is Austin, but I think it's going to be really close. I think it's going to probably be a great game. Um, San Diego also has a great defense, right? So I think Austin wins this game. Um, you know, I actually think this game is 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 one. If you watch All Access, if you watched All Access this week, you'll see that um, I talk about this. I think this game is won by who defends the middle of the field the better and stops the forward runners. So um, there's no there's no time and space to be able to move that ball wide, and I think Austin will do that a little bit better. Um, and I think Austin wins this, um, uh, you know, twenty three uh, nineteen. Yeah, I'm calling this one, so I'll sit this one out. Last one, LA at Seattle. Seattle would be knocking on the door. This would be the most Seawolves game ever if they upset LA. <laughs> in this game. You know, the crowd was great last. Um, you know, last week, uh, 
uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, I think Seattle, you know, uh, Clark, he's learning about his players, right? He's learning about which players can do what. Um, you know, they added uh, Larson and Comtat. I mean, those are two quality players, right? Um, their pack's now a lot deeper than it was. Um, you know, this is going to be competitive. I think LA will pull it out, but I don't know that LA is going to, um, uh, you know, I, yeah. I actually don't know that Seattle can score on LA. That's what I would say. Right? Yeah, that defense, like, LA's got a great defense, right? Yeah. And Seattle, they, their offense is still struggling a little bit. They're trying to find the right combinations. So I actually don't think Seattle can score that many points, but I think they'll be competitive. So I think this might be another one of these grinded out games for LA, where LA win. I think LA win, you know. I mean, if, if Seattle can live with LA in the first 20 minutes, um, they'll still lose, but it'll be close. It'll be like like 19-15. If, if um, Seattle can't hold LA in that first 20 minutes when they try and come out and blitz you, then it's going to be like 35-10. We'll see on the rosters too, because LA's depth is being tested. So, yeah. uh, and that's a tough road trip. So, if they get some back, if they were short-term things, or whether they're still getting pretty lean, any more injuries, they could be in a bit of trouble there. All right, we're going to end up with two bits of good news. Uh, Dino Waldron has been called up in the Gary Gold squad. Congrats to Dino, uh, big fan of the show, great guy as well down there for Nola Gold. The reason he's in the squad is Tito uh, Titi Lamastelli has just welcomed a baby. So congrats to TD and happy Father's Day. Um, good timing there. But uh, now an opportunity for Dino to join the squad. So then another player of Enola Gold that's out. But uh, I'm sure I'll do well. So congrats to both those guys. Yep, great. I mean, it's it, like, you know, doors opening for both of them. Fatherhood on one side and and going on tour on the other. And you're right about Nola. They, you know, they have a lot of guys that are away. Um, and they have uh, two games during that window. So just, just more, more fuel to the fire for the Nola Gold players to, to step up and prove us wrong. Absolutely. Well, that wraps us up, Professor Pete Steinberg, our producer, Aaron Castro. Our player of the week, Billy Meeks. I'm actually going to turn my hat backwards and wear it high, just like Billy, so I can be cool too. I want to be just like Billy. Just That's a good ad campaign, just like Billy. Remember, just like Mike, the Nike one, like Billy. If I could be like Billy. Yep. Not a bad guy to emulate young kids. So watch his game. It's good. All right. That does wrap it up. Till next week. Enjoy all the MLR action coming to you this weekend. MLR kickoff brought to you by shopmlr.com. Powered by the rugby shop.